Hey, good morning, Marine Valley. I tried to find the most and least outrageous thing I could find, so welcome to it. Um, hey, it's good to see uh, you guys. Good to see uh, everybody having fun. Um, hey, I, um, uh, one of the things that, uh, that, that this morning hopefully does is, uh, you know, it's not, you know, I've, good luck trying to find something outrageous that's not distracting. So do with this whatever you want for the rest of our time together. Um, but, uh, but man, one of the things that, that, uh, that Christmas is, is it is joyful. Uh, there is uh, a moment here where there's just celebration, uh, even in the midst of times around us that, that cause us to, uh, to be resistant to joy, uh, resistant to celebrating. Uh, and so I hope today as you're bumping into people and looking at their outrageous uh, Christmas outfits that, uh, that that brings some level of joy to you. Uh, but, um, but as we go in, I, uh, I've been excited uh, to come to this passage uh, in this section and, and these particular people, I feel like as we jump into this story of Mary and Joseph, oftentimes what we end up with is uh, some of you grew up in uh, church backgrounds uh, where Mary was uh, highly elevated, uh, maybe even beyond Scripture's teaching. And maybe some of us grew up in churches where Mary was greatly devalued or maybe not brought up to the level that someone who God chose uh, to, uh, to, to give birth to and raise the Son of God. Uh, oftentimes, I realize, the more I stare at the account of Joseph, how little we talk about uh, the sacrifice uh, and, and the position of, of Joseph. And so we've been in this series where we have been calling it Christmas for Misfits because as you go through the Gospels, you find that when we turn the page into the New Testament, into a scripture story of uh, the accounts of Jesus entering into the world, what we find is, is God using people that don't fit our expectations or fit what we would assume this story would look like. What I mean is, uh, we start off by looking at the genealogy, which is all those names, right, that show up in, in uh, Matthew and Luke. And in those names, we looked at the misfit family that Jesus came from, uh, that we wouldn't assume with a family record like that, uh, that that is the people or family whom God decided he would bring the Messiah through, but he does. And then when Jesus is born, we looked last week at the shepherds and how uh, there is this moment, right, uh, where they're out in the fields and, and nobody is going to them, nobody talks to them. If they come into town, nobody's making eye contact with them. And in the middle of all that, the angels show up, uh, they get this army choir from heaven that shows up and starts singing, uh, pro uh, proclaiming glory unto God in the highest and on earth peace to those in whom his favor rests. And we realize Nobody else was showing up to the shepherds, but God, uh, in, in a misfit moment, shows up to the people that no one else is showing up to, and inviting them to himself. And we've been calling it Christmas for Misfits because, uh, some of you remember, uh, the 1970s uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie, where they get taken away to the island of misfit toys, right? 
Uh, we spend enough time on it, we won't do it uh, like we did the first week. But if in that moment there's this song uh, and we find, you, you know, actually I still don't know what's wrong with the doll. If anybody knows, I don't know why she's there. Uh, we don't really, it's, she's just a doll that, who found her way there. But other than that, we've got an elephant with spots and a water pistol that shoots jelly, uh, which our boys have realized that's a pretty solid idea, uh, right? Uh, we've got a train that has square wheels. Uh, so there's all the, an airplane that doesn't fly. And, and it's this idea, and over to your right, you'll see the picture, uh, is that island is built and created by this uh, uh, lion who soars throughout creation, looking for the ones that don't fit anywhere, who takes them back to his kingdom, where those who don't fit out there find a place where they fit in his kingdom. And the same thing is true when the line of Judah, as we're mentioned and brought into in Genesis, uh, soars throughout creation and finds people like you and me uh, and brings us into his kingdom. We don't belong here. We don't fit here. I don't know about you. My spiritual resume does not line me up for an easy position. But God's looking for and loves on and cares for and pursues the misfits and brings us into his kingdom, not because we belong here, but because he loves us. And so as we've looked through this, uh, this account, this moment, this historical season of life where God is not just showing up to people, but he's showing up himself as a baby in a manger, that there is this misfit story that's being weaved and connected from person to person and moment to moment to create for us what really doesn't fit what we think it would look like. I was captured in, in, uh, in, when Leah and, and uh, Vince were uh, sharing in the story this idea, how would a carpenter know how to raise a king? It's misfit. Uh, God choosing people who it doesn't belong and finding people way down in this weird branch of the family line to use. And so as we jump in today, what I want us to look at is how God uses misfit interruptions. But when God invades our story and how he shakes things up and turns things around, how God takes what we think our plan is and moves in in a different way. Now, sometimes the interruptions, are, the, the interruptions that we have are catastrophe or tragedy. Things like job loss all of a sudden, a, a sudden or untimely death. I'm not saying that those are God's interruptions. I'm just saying sometimes we get interrupted. And it's not God. Sometimes it's just we get interrupted by a fallen, broken world. Sometimes the interruptions are incredible opportunities, a promotion or some other unexpected blessing. Sometimes the interruptions to our plans are just God invading our lives to bring us along in his plan. Uh, that even though we didn't see it coming, this has been what Jesus and God has seen coming all along. Uh, that we aren't, uh, God's not shaking things up. He's, he's doing what he had planned to do. It just takes and invades parts of our life and brings us in to what he was doing. Uh, these aren't the differences between good and bad. These are the differences between oftentimes hard and easy. Because the Jesus following life is anything but easy. Often it's the difference between comfortable and uncomfortable. I could stay here where I'm doing just fine or follow the Lord into places that require faith where I don't clearly see what the finish line is. Uh, these are often the differences between being in control and living by faith. 
uh, where we have to give up things so that we can take a hold of things. We have to let go of our plans so we can take hold of God's plans. We let go of our identity and our expectations so that we can take a hold of God's plans and his purposes. Uh, If you would, would you stand as I read uh, Matthew's account? Uh, We'll we'll go into Mary's too, but I want to start off with uh, Matthew telling uh, the, uh, the occasion with Joseph here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But we in When he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Behold, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and did in fact name him Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, would you remind us, would you meet us again uh, in a story in scripture which is often too familiar to us to understand the gravity. Uh, Some of the the punch in the reality of these moments evades us because uh, it's familiar. Uh, Lord, would you you give us fresh eyes to peer into uh, this couple and this holy night, uh, the process, these months of wondering and discerning, of sitting with you, of listening, God, that leads to life of obedience. Father, would you, would you show us what we need so that we can live lives like these incredible examples of the faith that we have in Mary and Joseph. Father, lead us so that we can embrace the interruptions to our plans that you have for us that are oftentimes misfit in what we want but are right in alignment with what you want. Father, would you lead us today in Jesus' name? Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, We are going to be in Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. In both of these, we hear Mary and Joseph's accounts. Now, Mary and Joseph uh, were, like everyone we've talked about so far, uh, misfit. They they don't quite fit the bill. I I don't know that anybody uh, looking throughout uh, Israel at this time would have said, I'll bet this is the couple that it's going to happen through. And yet here we have Mary and Joseph. Uh, They were young, right, a Jewish marrying age, so Mary likely would have been between the ages of 13 and 15, which I think is important because the older you get, the less you tend to trust God. That's why Jesus said we need to have faith like a child. There's a trusting that comes along with that, and I think Mary shows it. Uh, They grow up in a small town. Nazareth at this time is likely no less than 300 and no more than 500 people. 
a small, insignificant town in kind of a area of, of Israel that, that gets joked about amongst Jewish people at the time. He's a carpenter. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, in Nazareth, they even ask, isn't this the carpenter's son? Here's an average guy trying to make it and start a good family. Uh, the only significant thing about their circumstance is that roughly a thousand years before this, his ancestor was King David. It's rough when it looks like the only significant thing you got going for you is your great-grandpa from a thousand years ago. And of all the people that God could have chose to bring his son, the Messiah, through, of all the kings that have passed and gone, of all of the significance and all the royalty and all of the wealth and all of the significance, uh, God chooses a couple like this. I think it's important uh, before we jump in to realize Jesus grew up with a stepdad. And oftentimes we look at some of the brokenness in families and we look at things that don't fit and we realize, man, Jesus didn't just come to be like one of us. He came to really embody uh, the misfitness of some of our stories. Joseph knows full and well, nobody knows better than Joseph, how not his kid Jesus is, but still owns the moment, follows in step with the Spirit, raises the Son of God. We know that they were poor, and not like American kind of poor, like poor, poor. In um, Luke chapter 2, verse 24, we see them going to the temple and sacrificing uh, doves or pigeons. Uh, Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8 says that that was the kind of offering you would give if you couldn't afford a normal sacrifice. So here we have this really unique moment. Mary and Joseph, likely fully in love with each other. They're married, about to seal the deal on marriage, but not until the angels come. In a moment where uh, everything, they've got their plans before them, maybe they're talking about what kind of house they want to build and what part of the neighborhood they'd put it in. Maybe they're trying to come up with their plans and already coming up with names for the kids they think they might have together. Uh, they're walking through in this wide-eyed, uh, the, the wedding day is coming and, and we got our whole lives in front of us and God interrupts. These couldn't seem like the likely descendants to bring the Messiah in the world. And I want us to work through the scripture's words of Mary and Joseph. As I was reading through this this week, I had one sermon planned and I realized I didn't like it. More, I don't think God liked it. So we, we closed the deal on that one. What I read as I was reading through here uh, was not a neatly broken down, here's what this section means and here's how you can find truth in this section. And you can find truth in all the sections. I just, as I was reading through it, here's what I found at the end. I, I realized as I was reading through this, how not like Mary and Joseph I am. Uh, that, that in uh, our own pursuit sometimes, it's about becoming something or appearing like something or hoping that we've got it all figured out and we've got all of our ducks in a row and everything uh, is detailed and we've crossed all of our T's and we've dotted all of our I's. And I don't know that I'm as interruptible as what Mary and Joseph were. What I mean is, when God calls me to do something, uh, uh, I, I like to talk about the times I say yes. I don't like to talk about the times I say no. 
And I realized there was a disconnection, there's shifts in my soul that I need to make uh, to be more and more like Joseph and more and more like Mary. So I'd like for us to read through, we're going to work through uh, uh, this story, this moment, uh, the, 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 the occasion of this angel showing up to Mary and what she does, the angel showing up to Joseph what he does. And at the end, I'd like to, uh, more than anything, present to you the same shifts I feel like God's calling me to shift in my own life. So work with me, if you will. We're in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to start with Mary. Timeline-wise, this is what uh, it feels like. It, it is the most appropriate. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, now in the sixth month, if you read the section before, it looks like the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, her cousin, who's pregnant with who will be John the Baptist. Now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. Now the angel Gabriel is a significant role here because he really doesn't have a lot of playtime. Uh, Gabriel shows up to Daniel and announces to Daniel that the Messiah is coming. Uh, the Messiah who will save uh, people from their sins, who will redeem his people, uh, that, that, that that is, Gabriel announces that. Gabriel then doesn't show up for hundreds of years till we get to Zechariah. And tells Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth will give birth to a son who will be the forerunner to Christ. And then here we have Daniel again showing up to Mary. And then we find out that they're from this town in Galilee named Nazareth. And if you were around at this time, it would have turned your heads. We've even got extra biblical, meaning outside of just what we read in Scripture. There's historical things in the first century that have been written down and record us that uh, let us know and remind us of, of how this area was viewed. Uh, it kind of would have been viewed like we view. Now, I'm from central Illinois, so give me some grace here, Right? It's kind of this little podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And more so than that, there's assumptions made about the kinds of people that grew up there. Remember, three to four to 500 people. Uh, and so in Nazareth, in Galilee, Galilee was seen as dirty because these were the Jews that were living amongst the unclean Gentiles. There was something about them that just didn't look proper. Seen by the rest of Israel is not good enough, gross, we could use the word misfits. In Nazareth, in John chapter 1, Nathaniel asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? This idea that is there anything significant that could happen in that part of the kingdom? Seems like this town had a rough reputation in that time. Verse 27 says that it's going to be to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Now betrothed, uh, the, the, the wedding process at this time was wildly different. They were legally married, but they weren't fully married. So it's not like engagement where the wedding uh, ceremony hadn't just happened yet. In fact, at this time, if they were to split up legally, they would have had to get a divorce. They were already in the process, uh, but let's just say it this way, the wedding night hadn't come yet, all right? And so they're in this in-between moment. The big difference in all of this is that what we see in Mary and Joseph is this couple who were on a path, 
who were heading in a direction, who had plans made, who uh, thought they were moving to a place, and all of a sudden an angel shows up. It says, in coming in, in verse 28, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was wondering what kind of greeting this was. Was she scared? Maybe. But we do know this statement is what caught her off guard and made her question being greeted this way. Seems like Mary felt like being favored with the Lord was a little misfit. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. And the word great there uh, carries the weight of, of uh, he will be big, he will be significant. Uh, the word is actually megas, where we get our word mega from. Uh, there, there will be a largeness to this child born to a not yet married couple in a really poor situation in a really insignificant town that most of everyone else makes fun of. That this child will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Read the significance. He is invoking uh, decades, uh, centuries of prophetic words that were given so Israel would know who the Messiah was when he showed up. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. We're talking about King Jesus. And his kingdom will have no end. These aren't just hype words. These are the prophetic words that are echoing from God's message from the Old Testament prophets. These are Messiah words, that the Messiah is in fact coming, uh, not just later, but right now through Mary. Of course, she's a little perplexed, as the word says. Verse 34, but Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Solid question. One that I would want to know the answer to as well, amongst many others. And the angel said, answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also the Holy Child will be called Son of God. This is, angels packing some stuff into this encounter. And here what we see is, how will you know? There's just going to be parts of this you're just going to have to rely on the Lord. But God is working together a reality that she will not have to walk alone. In the same way, the Spirit of God showed up to the tabernacle and then later the temple and overshadowed it with his presence, this cloud that covered over it. He is doing the same thing, not to the Holy of Holies in a temple, but to the womb of this virgin named Mary. But Mary said to the angel, oh sorry, I already read that, verse 36, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called infertile is now in her sixth month. Why? There's nothing that's impossible with God. There's moments in here where 
clearly, Mary is going to have to just rely on the presence of God to get her through this. But what's also important to pay attention to is God also sets Mary's life up in a situation where she doesn't have to walk through this alone. She's not the only one with a miraculous birth. In fact, the forerunner who's going to come to Jesus and prepare the way of the Lord is uh, currently in the womb of Mary's cousin, who she gets to walk with for three months, live with, talk with. I want us to pay attention to the fact that God still does this, that there's parts of our life and our walk and our obedience that we need to do alone. But there's also parts of our walk with the Lord where we don't have to trust him alone. That he's put people around us, that there are uh, people who do understand. And sometimes we walk in those seasons where we get that whisper like nobody understands. Nobody, Nobody is like you. Your situation is wildly different. I love what God does is God makes sure that she's not alone. And Mary said this, powerful statement in Scripture, behold the Lord's bondservant, right, which is just a term for a female servant, behold the Lord's servant, may it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed her. What's wild to me a lot of times in these angel stories is the angel just leaves. There's no phone a friend, Right? Like, hey, tonight, could we meet, like, is Thursday good for you, angel? Could you, Gabriel, or could you come back so we can, like, I just want to make sure I heard it right, you know, like, couldn't video it, it all happened really quick, but I just want to make sure that, like, what I heard is what I heard, right? The angel leaves, and Mary's left with this moment of what in the world do we do next? Mary believed the word, but still didn't understand the way. She believed the promise, but was unclear about the path that laid before her. The strength of this teenage girl to fully surrender herself to the misfit interruption of of her life. Uh, Think about this. God, if you say it, I'm ready for it. It's a good way to think through Mary's words. God, if if this is what you're saying, then that's what I want to do. God, if this is what you want for me, that's what I want for me. God, if this is your plan for my life, whatever plan I had, gone. See why I was a little challenged this week. Because do we think that way? Do we pray that way? Do we approach the Lord that way? Do we surrender ourselves that way? Or do we fight and cling so hard to our way that God has to do something crazy to pry our hands off of it because on our own, we're not going to do it? Shortly after that, in verse 39, Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Verse 39 says, now at this time, Mary set out and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And somewhere around verse 25 and 26, it appears that Mary is six months pregnant when the angel appears to Mary and she travels to stay with Elizabeth and Zechariah. When Elizabeth, verse 41, heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she, I love this verse, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. If she was perplexed at the angel's greeting, I'd like to know how she received Elizabeth's. Listen, as I was reading through that, verse 45 really stuck out to me because part of the culture we live in that we forget is just unique to how we perceive the world is that oftentimes in the church experiences we have, the church is in no short supply of cynical, nitpicky critiques. We can find everything wrong with everything. And listen, if you want to send an email, I've got my own list of stuff I'm not doing right, so I'll just add it into there, right? <laughs> There's a lot of things that, that, that are, man, this isn't right. I wish they would do this. Why don't they change that, right? And we end up, uh, I, I, I've stopped watching SportsCenter. Guys, this is just a confession moment, all right? Okay? Because here's, here's what I started realizing. Here's guys who have never played professional sports at any level, who nobody wants on their team, who are being paid millions of dollars to critique the best athletes in their sport. We can be that way. I love D.L. Moody's words. He was uh, preaching at an evangelism revival, uh, and a preacher in the town came and said, hey, I don't like the way uh, that you are uh, evangelizing, right? And D.L. Moody says something to the effect of, well, you know, I don't really like it either. What's your way, <laughs> right? And the guy had no answer. And D.L. Moody's response was, well, I like my way better, <laughs> Right? And the idea being, we can perceive the kingdom as something to be critiqued, but man, we need more Elizabeths who look at people and listen to her words, say things like this, blessed are you, someone needs to hear from you, blessed are you who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what's been spoken to you by the Lord. Just encouraging people that they actually are clinging to the word of God and believe that it's true. People that are struggling in life but hold firm to the hope they have in Christ. For someone just to come alongside and say, blessed are you because you believe that what God said is going to happen. You get it? Mary goes into her song. I don't know what melody she sang. I don't know how it came across, but here were her words. And I often read this, and I have in my mind, whether I don't know what it's founded on, is Mary is this really quiet, passive young girl that's kind of over off to the side. Uh, and when we read through this, what I find is, man, there is, there's a warrior spirit in this young girl. She says, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded, uh, pay attention, he has noticed or he has given special attention to the humble state of me as servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. But she's not focused on herself because she points to the Lord, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
And his mercy is to generation after generation towards those who fear him. For he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their throne. These are big words coming from a little lady in a town that nobody likes to talk about. And he has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty-handed. He has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary hears from the angel. She runs and talks to Elizabeth. Before she even gets to the door, Mary busts open the door because the baby inside of her uh, knows the Messiah is coming, leaping for joy. And Elizabeth, before Mary gets a word out of her mouth, just starts blessing and starts speaking and starts encouraging. And Mary, from that point, starts singing this song to God that everything he said was going to be true, and she was here for it. She stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. What about Joseph? We just read that story. A young man deeply in love with his soon-to-be wife who was deeply in love with her almost husband. Interrupted. Mental and emotional chaos. But still a clear direction and a way forward. Matthew chapter 2. Nope, sorry. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came, to, excuse me, came together to consummate their marriage, that's my interaction just so we know where we're at in the story, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her, but planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, sometimes we need to remember God's promises for us. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, uh, probably if you were to go back then and say the word Jesus, everyone would have been confused. It's the Hebrew word Yeshua, it's Joshua, which means the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet will be fulfilled. The prophet is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where it says, Behold, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translates God with us. What I love that happens to Joseph is the angel shows up and reminds him of what God's already said. And you can look, listen, the prophecies can be wildly confusing as you read through them because some of them are this figurative image that unfolds itself in meaning empires and kingdoms. But here, Joseph's reminded, no, 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 real virgin, real conception, real birth, and that's how this is going to happen. What you are seeing in front of you and the message you're being told is not misfit. In fact, it actually fits. It's the only thing that fits. God speaks to Mary before she becomes pregnant. What's powerful to me 
is God doesn't say anything to Joseph until after he finds out she's already pregnant. I'm a planner. I'd like to know ahead of time. Right? Hey, Don, you're going to find out later she's pregnant. Don't worry. Here's how it all happened. It's like, okay, that sounds weird, but I can go with that. As opposed to a couple months later finding out, and now we're talking about it? And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. Joseph, to me, is a hero in the faith. I wake up from crazy dreams, and I don't know that I'm like, all right, Lord, I guess I'll go to Taco Bell. I'll fly there because, you know, like I don't know what happened in my dream. Joseph wakes up and clearly knows that the Lord has spoken and clearly steps out in faith, trusting that what the angel said is going to be true. I'm going to use the term misfit interruptions, but what I mean is God's interruptions oftentimes are misfit from our plans and our expectations. As we talk about these soul shifts for God misfit expectation, the first one is this. I found as I read this, I need to shift from being skeptical to being expectant. I grew up in churches where the supernatural was by and large ignored. Oftentimes in the hymns, we would just skip the third verse because it was usually about the Holy Spirit. But unquestioned obedience was expected. As a result, I've learned in my adult Jesus-following life that I'm skeptical about anything that feels beyond natural. But what it often causes me to do is ignore or explain away God's unique activity. Hope you're here. I'm, I'm not trying to give you something. I'm trying to just walk you through where I'm at. There's a difference between discernment and skepticism. The Lord calls us to discernment. Oftentimes, we should take these moments and discern them with other people so we get the truth of it. But oftentimes my skepticism kicks in before that ever happens and I already wish it away or blow it off and so I can just move forward. Discernment is good, but watch yourself. You might be more charitable towards yourself than, what you, than what's actually true. What you may call discernment may actually just be skepticism. Mary gets an encounter by an angel, and the angel goes away. And as I'm reading this, all I can think that in my flesh, I know my first thoughts would be how to explain that away or ignore what just happened. How, how could that not be? No, 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 that was like, I, you know, I, I don't, maybe the temperature was too hot in the room, and just, you know, I got a little sweaty, and so it just kind of blacked out, right? You know what I'm saying? Am I the only one? Okay. If I am, I'll work through this, and you'll catch up with me later. On a beautiful note of God's grace in this moment is that God is also working on a miracle pregnancy with Mary's cousin Elizabeth. God creates a situation where Mary doesn't have to go through this pregnancy alone and without doubt. For three months, Mary and Elizabeth spent time in conversation together, watching each other's belly grow. Maybe often, I would assume this is the case, I don't know what else there is to do in a town that we don't have the name of, somewhere off in the hill country of Judea, maybe often retelling their own miraculous pregnancy stories to keep each other encouraged and fully trusting God. Do you have people you can do that with? And don't forget, here's my favorite part, is I think if you put yourself in this room, Zachariah's over in the corner. He can't talk because he doubted the angel in the temple, and he's just listened to the two ladies for three months go back and forth about their angel encounters. But here's where I also know. 
When the baby's named and Zachariah's mouth opens, I guarantee you it came from three months of sitting and listening to three women that God miraculously allowed to conceive and give birth so that this story from these prophecies, which Zachariah as a priest would have well known, that he knew at that moment what, what doubt did to close his mouth, a revelation and trust did to open it and rejoice. One reason we need community around us, we too can share with each other the God activity in our lives to keep us encouraged, hopeful, believing, and expectant for the great things he has done and is doing and is about to do. Uh, Joseph wakes up after having an angelic dream and is so convinced that this is God's hand in his life that he resigns his plans in order to raise a child that he knows is not his own and trusts that it's God's Messiah. I would love if Matthew gave us a few more details about Joseph, right? I'd like to know his feelings. I'd like to have a little bit more insight about his thoughts in this moment. Maybe he could give us a song like Mary did, right? But all we know is that he woke up and obeyed. The only detail we know that gives any clarity is in verse 16, we are told that Joseph was a righteous man. Meaning, his life was lived upright, being in accordance with God's standards. He oriented his life to do God's things God's way. We are told that he has already yielded to the words and ways of God in his life. And listen, a life submitted to God is necessary when we want to live open to God working in our lives. An angel reads him the verse from Isaiah about the Messiah coming from a virgin birth. Usually, we can believe God can move, we just don't think he would move through misfits like us. Could we open ourselves up to the possibility that God might invade our lives, changing our posture from being skeptical and begin asking and expecting God to change the course of our life for his glory? So that's shifting from skeptical to being expectant. Second one's this, shifting from my plans to God's plans. There's something in my soul that loves my plans. But equally in my soul, there's a constant reminder of how that usually goes. By nature, I'm someone who generally needs to have everything figured out. I need the plans uh, before I start the project. I want a map before I start the journey. But Proverbs chapter 19, 21 reminds us, many are, are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Right? You can plan whatever you want, but God's going to get what he wants. Planning isn't wicked. In fact, I think it's good stewardship. But we can often be sinful with our plans. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we can build misaligned plans, right, where we create our plans without discerning or aiming them at God's plans. Meaning this, we're not looking, God, where are you at? Okay, I need to orient my life towards that. It's like, God, I don't, God's over here. I think I'm just going to do what I want instead. Sometimes, if we can be honest, we make atheist plans. What I mean is, our plans never consider God or his existence. It's just about us and what we want. Didn't think about what that was going to mean to God. Didn't even think how to discern God in any of this. It was almost as though God doesn't exist and I'm just going to do my thing. Or maybe we make uninterruptible plans. We hold on to and fight for our plans no matter what, even if God is guiding us in different ways. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we're reminded, why do we keep living in the smallness of what we can do and plan and think? Rather than opening ourselves up and, 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 and laying ourselves down in surrender and submission to the plans of the Lord. Matthew tells us Joseph's plans, they were even good plans. He finds us out, he planned uh, to separate and quietly move away so it would not cause disgrace on Mary, but Joseph's plans for his wife and his life were upended. When God interrupts his plans while interrupting his sleep, Joseph was convinced this was from the Lord. I've had some vivid dreams, none that I believe the Lord was speaking to me through as of yet. And can I be honest? I don't know how Joseph woke up from his sleep knowing it was real. All we know is that Joseph moves away from his own plans and pursues God's plans. From what we can tell in Scripture, Joseph doesn't live to see the earthly ministry of Jesus. We don't know that he was there for any miracles or that he saw any healings. We don't see anywhere that he was there at the crucifixion, the empty tomb, or the ascension into heaven. And here's why I mention that. Joseph didn't say yes to God's plan so he could be rewarded by seeing the fruition of it. Joseph abandoned his plan simply to be obedient to whatever it was that God wanted to do with his life, even if he didn't see the final result. I need to shift my soul, and maybe you do too, from clinging to my own plans to taking hold of God's plans. Praying, God, would you Wake us up from our sleep, ready to do what you've called us to do. The third and last shift I want us to look at is this. I need to shift my soul from myself to being his servant. My focus from being on me to being on him, that it's not about what I want, but it's about what he wants. This is about your owned identity, your self-understanding, your posture, your awareness. This is about our relationship to the throne. Uh, there, this is an issue of the fall, right? Adam and Eve went for it because the serpent told them they could be like God. And oftentimes for us, the missteps are the same. We want to be in control. We want to be right. We want our version of reality to be truth. So we try to sit on the throne as king and lord over our own lives. And in that process, everything around us might be falling apart, but at least we're in charge, so we think. People around us are struggling with what we are making of our lives because we think we're great on the throne. Everyone else is convinced we are not. But none of that matters when you feel in control. Either we are trying to sit on the throne or we are kneeling at the throne of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I've realized this, and if you haven't, you soon will. I make a terrible God. And in the footnotes, I would add, so do you. I'm not good at God's job. God is good at God's job. If I stick to my job and let God do his job, things work out. But guess what? I like his throne sometimes. And I try to sit there. And either I get kicked out by somebody or God, or we fall under the amazing realization that there's one person that that was built for, and he alone can rule and reign from it. 
An evaluation is always before us. Am I rushing to the throne or am I rushing for the altar? If I'm constantly thriving for the throne, I find that I'm worshiping myself. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies, your whole selves, everything about you, as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. If I am constantly sacrificing myself on the altar to God, I am worshiping the merciful God. Dying to your ways, your plans, your preferences, and your opinions, and yourself for the sake of becoming his servant. What we see in both Mary and Joseph is that they laid themselves down in order to pick up this way of obeying God as his servants. Mary says in Luke chapter 1, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Would that become a prayer for us at Christmas time? That feels like a good Christmas time prayer. Behold, Look at me, I'm God's servant. Let whatever happens to me be according to your word. Joseph doesn't say anything. He just wakes up and does what God asked of him. Talk about the perfect husband. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we can see the attraction and wanting to be like God, but church, you have a story to tell the goodness of God when he is the one ruling and reigning from the throne of the Lord over your life. Will you lay yourself down at his feet and offer yourself as a living sacrifice? I want us to end here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus later. We don't, we're expecting Joseph's not even alive to see this. Maybe Mary was there. Jesus tells his disciples... If anyone would come after me, and mind you, church, if you're a believer in Christ, your life's aim is to come after him. Wherever he is, we are. Wherever he goes, we go. We don't want to miss him. We don't want to get too far behind or get too far ahead of him. This is what we want as Christ's followers, is to come after him. The process, he says, is this. You have to deny yourself, take up his cross, and follow me. The lifestyle of a grace-filled misfit is one that is always laying ourselves down so we can pick up Jesus' way. We can't follow him without grabbing onto the cross. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you keep your life, you can't hold on to it forever. You have a temporary reign over a not-so-impressive kingdom. But if you lay down your life for the sake of Jesus, that's when you will find life and find it overflowing. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits its soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Some of us have been resisting God for a long time. And you may gain everything you are currently striving for, but you're going to lose everything. Mary and Joseph has so much to teach us in their example. Like them... Will we put down your life, deny all of it, your preferences, your opinions, what you wish would happen, what you think someone else should do with theirs? Would you lay all that down? Because there's only one preference and desire you're striving for, it's God's. And picking up a cross, not a platform, not a promotion, not accolades, not glory, we're picking up a cross. 
because that's the only way we can follow him. In fact, that cross-picking up part is the part we like to leave down and still think we can follow him. That we would surrender ourselves, that we would lay our life down, that we would pick up what the Lord's done. Listen, on the cross, Jesus forgave what you've done and who you've been that's apart from God. Jesus' invitation is that we would put this life to death so that we could be made new. There's a newness, there's a trust, there's belief, there's a fresh hope when we walk in this resurrected life that's already been buried with Christ and that's rise to walk this new life with him. Some of you, maybe you've been trying to follow Jesus without picking up a cross. Maybe even for some, you've followed the Lord, but there's been steps of obedience you've not obeyed. You believe and trust that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and your Lord and Savior. Could I, somewhere between challenge and encourage you to take a step of obedience in being baptized, outwardly expressing with your body what you are inwardly experiencing in your soul, that you like Paul's words have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And that you would be buried with Christ, but rise to walk a new life with him. Uh, what I wanna encourage you is this. Uh, the Christmas story is beautiful and it's inspirational and sometimes it's way too familiar. What I want to encourage us is would we, would we look at the ways and walk of people like Mary and Joseph and be reminded that bringing Christ into the world is the same as what they did. It requires a surrender and it requires obedience. And what God's tasked us with is, is to bring more of Christ into the world. Would we be the same? Would you stand and pray? Lord Jesus, would you move us? God, would you, would you unsettle something in our soul that's gotten comfortable? Where we've got assurances built up that are just because we believe it? God, would you break some of that stuff down and would you align us to you? God, would you show us these examples like Mary and Joseph? misfit situations and circumstances, plans that didn't fit what they wanted, interruptions that didn't fit where they were going, but were willing to yield all of that for your glory. Father, would we wake up from the sleep that we're in and set off to obey what you've commanded. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.